How's everybody doing out there? I'd like to welcome everyone to this edition of the TOT Cast. It is me, Ryan Greco. I'm actually flying solo this episode. Chris O'Kranitz will be taking care of the Leafs podcast uh, coming up in just a little bit. But uh, tonight, I think we're just going to try and uh, talk a little bit about basketball. The Toronto Raptors, it's been a huge huge season for them. They concluded last night uh, a huge event in the sense of a, uh, a big win for the bench uh, coming out on top over the Brooklyn Nets uh, a night where DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry and numerous others did rest and the the bench squad got it done last night. A um, couple of things as well to go over this past week. I mean the Biosteel game which I was at for both uh, nights, one for Up and Athlete Institute for the uh, three-point shootout and the slam dunk contest. Uh, my old man Jalen Llewellyn was able to come away with the victory in the slam dunk contest, six foot one guard. I mean, absolutely amazing. Um, let's just start off with a bow steal. An event like that, even just seeing it from last year compared to what we were seeing over the weekend, I mean, it's hard to describe even the growth that we're seeing with that. I mean, let's let's be honest. The Canadian basketball scene here in this country is a relatively small one, especially here in Toronto. You go out to these events, you go out to these tournaments, uh, whether it's for the prep schools or even the public schools, uh, you go out to the Biosteel event or you're going out to the CIS uh, men's final eights, um, you're pretty much seeing a lot of the same kind of guys and you know the same kind of media writers, the same people more or less following the sport, even people as high up as Sportsnet and TSN. They're all more or less in the same community, even with the guys for us here, whether it's in fan-sided or whether it's on a bunch of other uh, different um, media outlets that have uh, covered basketball for the last, I'd say, 10, 15 years, at least here in the GTA. And I think that the interest, though, that, that we've been seeing in this sport, uh, the BioSteel game, both the uh, skills competition up in the Athlete Institute in Orangeville, and both happening at the U of T on Monday night, is just another indication of how much more it's grown. And, you know, you're starting to see players as big as the Toronto Raptors coming out to check out this event. You've got guys coming back from hugely successful college careers and Jamal Murray, uh, just as an example, coming to check out these games. And I mean, really, as a journalist going out and watching these kids play, I mean, it's one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. The big question now is, really, that we all have to ask ourselves is, where does it go from here? Talking to a lot of different people, the enthusiasm is there. Uh, a lot of people, though, have a lot of different opinions on where it should go from here. I mean, should Canadian colleges begin to step up their game? I was talking to Leo Routens, as you guys had heard last uh, last episode in the, the basketball edition, the Biosteel special edition that we had when I talked to Leo. His thought process was on the, the idea of creating, much like they have in the OSBAs with the high school uh, level, creating a level in which the prep schools that want to invest the kind of money that, let's be honest, you need to have if you want to have a consistently good national program and national game at the grassroots level, he wants to take that a step further and bring it up to the CIS, where colleges can offer their own league, their own independent league, where they're having scholarships, recruiting to another level. I mean, we know the CIS does recruit. It is college sports, after all. But I'm talking about making it so competitive to a level that it can actually match NCAA Division One, And we all know that right now you can't necessarily match that level. Not right now. Not with the kind of funding that goes into the CIS. Not with the kind of interest that it generates. Because to be perfectly honest, if you even compare it to some of the prep level in high school in Canada, it doesn't even match that. 
Which is a shame because you're seeing a lot of talented players, even players that are going down to the States and finding out that that lifestyle, that setting is not for them and coming back to the CIS. And we're seeing certain schools like Carleton, who's the most obvious example, a school that, you know, has a system and tradition of winning and a mindset. They've got an amazing coach in Dave Smart who routinely faces off against top D1 opponents. And at the very least, they hang in there with them. Now, no one right now necessarily has been able to match that level of competitiveness that these that that team, even specifically Carlton, has been able to put together. And it's a lot in the same way similar to the UConn women's basketball program in the States where they're just so far above and beyond those other teams around them that, you know, it's just getting to a point where it doesn't even seem fair. The interesting thing about that, though, is that you've got teams and programs and universities trying to invest the kind of money that they need to stay competitive, whether it's a Ryerson, whether it's a University of Ottawa, uh, whether it's even a U of T. And seeing these kinds of events, you know, it's not that hard to imagine in the next 10, 15 years that a lot of these, that not necessarily a lot of these players, but you will be seeing some of these players playing in this game and the BioSteel game that are going to be in the CIS. And to Leo's point, the only way, though, that that's ever going to happen is if they do start taking the investment part of this seriously. The only way that that's, that's going to happen is if you have a league above the league that they have right now, much in the same way that they have at the high school level with the OSBA. The interesting thing about the OSBA, though, is that that is more or less, that is that is a privately funded league. They have sponsors and they have organizations that have invested what they have into that. And so what you're left with now, though, is is it for the right reasons? Are we doing this to better the level of basketball in this country, or are they doing this to make a dollar? Because that was the great debate that was happening in the, when the first original prep schools were popping up in the United States, and to the point where the AAU teams were now starting to happen in the quote-unquote off-season, because there really is no off-season in basketball, at least not in the amateur level. So you're left with a lot of these questions of how does it get done? We've seen it done in the United States. Or do you do it in a sense or a way like they do it in Europe where it's academies and it's entire sports clubs? It's not just the sport itself or the team itself that does just the one sport. Barcelona is a good example of that. Is that another way to do this where it's a professional level? But it's also amateur at the same time with the academies that are under it in the same way that you see with TFC Academy here. There's so many different ways that you could approach this. Now, here's the most confusing, but at the same time, the most liberating part about it is that you have so much, sorry, you have so many options to do this that you almost don't know where to begin. And we're starting to see it take shape with with leagues like the OSBA. We're starting to see it in media with people as influential as the Leo Routenses of the world or the Michael Granges who are now covering, you know, top-level high school basketball talent that is always necessarily, that is always usually typically getting bred in the United States. That even poses another question. Do we even need to have a league as big as what they're seeing in the United States? Do we just outsource everybody to the United States as we have with all of our sports with the exception of hockey? These are all questions that we need to ask. These are questions that we're going to have answers to eventually. And honestly, is this going to be the start of something big? Or is it still just going to be a, a fad or 
a growing trend. It's it's one of these things where you look at the level of competition that these kids were displaying on Monday. You look at the level in which they're playing at, but then you've got to stop and remember that a lot of these kids are now starting to come from schools up here. That was the main intent of all of this, to display Canadian talent. You're starting to get just as many players in this game, whether it's politics that determines that or whether it's genuine skill that are coming from high schools here in Canada. And when I say high schools, I'm including prep schools when I say that. And you're getting as many of those kids coming to these games now, being invited to these games, as you are kids coming from the United States that are originally Canadian. Now, this is all really just hearsay. It's, it's going to be one of those things where we'll, we'll see what happens in the future. Once again, it was an amazing spectacle to see the kids at that level, and it, it actually it had quite the wild finish. And really, it's going to be an ongoing conversation for a long time moving forward, but I'm looking forward to see what the final result of that is eventually going to be, and we'll see in good time if that extra level, that, that I guess you could say Division One a level of college basketball will ever come to fruition in Canada. Right now, to be perfectly honest, there isn't any signs that something like that could even be close to happening without the money. If you have a few people that are willing to invest the money and willing to, I guess you could say, bend the rules to allow something like that to happen, it's going to take a lot of politicking. It's going to take a lot of influence from very highly regarded people in the sport to make something like that happen. There's going to be a lot of pushback from the CIS if you don't approach this the right way, and it'll never happen. But ask yourself, with the talent that we're now getting coming up through our systems, consistently playing against American competition, having a Canadian University basketball league at the same level of the NCAA Division I, when it's all said and done, is that a bad thing for Canadian sports? Regardless of how it gets done? That's the question a lot of the people who eventually, at some point, are going to get involved in that discussion are going to have to ask themselves. Now, let's move on to the Toronto Raptors. I've made it no secret throughout this entire season that I never really cared what happened to them in the in the regular season. And a lot of fans share that sentiment. It doesn't matter what happens in the regular season. From the beginning of the year, they were pretty much a lock from start to finish to win the Atlantic Division. It wasn't a matter of if we make the playoffs. The only way that could have been in jeopardy is if, knock on wood, both DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry went out with season-ending injuries. And once again, knock on wood. <laughs> But when you have a team that has disappointed as greatly as they have in the last two seasons, in true Toronto sports fashion, might I add, I mean, this city has seen its fair share of heartbreak. But just seeing the steady progression of this team and how it's learning to win, trading out pieces that weren't getting it done for pieces that at this point seem to be getting it done is something that was very encouraging to see throughout the year. So I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to spend a quick moment on the Raptors season in general. This was a team from start to finish that was locked in. 
there never really was any serious lulls or bad streaks. There were a couple of bad losses, don't get me wrong. There were times where it was obvious that if you play a certain way against this team, you can beat them consistently. The Chicago Bulls proved that. And a lot of Raptors fans right now are breathing a sigh of relief that that team missed the playoffs because there was a moment in time where we very well could have faced them in the first round, and that could have been one of the most disheartening series the Raptors would have ever had, especially after a season that they just had. But at the same time, I mean, who's to say? They could have risen to the occasion, risen to the challenge, much in the same way that when the Toronto Maple Leafs faced Boston Bruins back in the playoffs a couple of years ago, that was a team that was consistently beating up on them, and they rose to the challenge and pushed them to seven games. Unfortunately, once again, in true Toronto fashion, it ended horribly, but I digress. We don't have them now to worry about. We do have, however, the Indiana Pacers, which is a team that has taken a fall from grace, if you will. A lot of that has, in a way, had to do with Paul George and basically the lost season that was for the Indiana Pacers last year. They do now, however, have him back. They do have a team that has shown at times that it can go on its own offensive runs, but they haven't been a team that the Raptors have had much issues with throughout the entire season. But one thing that people need to remember was neither were the Washington Wizards last season when they faced the Toronto Raptors in the playoffs. That was not a team that gave them any consistent issues throughout the regular season. With that being said, however, last year's team had two point guards that couldn't play defense in Grievous Vasquez and Lou Williams. And I use that term point guard loosely because both of them played their fair share of two at one point through the season or multiple points through the season. What we have now is a team that's a little bit more defensively minded in Bismack Biombo, who proved an invaluable piece in Jonas Valanciunas's absences throughout the season. Um, we have a backup point guard now in Corey Joseph, who has shown in flashes that he can be a starter in this league at some point, depending on the team that he's on. Not on this team, not in this organization. I don't see that happening for a very long time, if at all. But he has shown that he had spent his time in San Antonio wisely. And if anyone who had ever seen him before that knew that this guy was playing for his professional life in the NBA just at the beginning of the 2014-2015 season. He, he was literally a bad stretch away from playing in Europe. And he brought it together, and he has been money ever since, and it's part of the reason why the Raptors picked him up. Then we have Norman Powell, a guy who had spent most of his season playing with the Raptors 905, a guy who was tearing up the NBDL at one point. This last stretch... He has proven that he can contribute at the NBA level and that he probably is never going to go back to the NBDL again. However, that's not entirely out of the question. You never know with guys that are coming into their first year, you're going to see something. But at the same time, you got to remember, this is not Bruno Caboclo. This is not an 18-year-old kid that we just plucked out of uh, a foreign land that is trying to get used to the ways of the NBA. This is a player who has spent a long time maturing, growing. He's a considerably a few years older than uh, Bruno Caboclo. And on top of that, he's been playing in one of the top programs in the country developing his game. And that's worked for him. Everybody has a different way to get to the N NBA. Everybody does. Everyone has a different development process. And that's something that fans, especially in the Raptors realm, have learned to accept 
and have been comfortable with. But of course, that also comes from the fact that we're winning our games now. I mean, you even look at a, at a guy like Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry did not get his first all-star nod until he was 28 years old. He had been in the league for six seasons. Some guys just aren't instant stars like that. Michael Jordan didn't win his first title until he was 30. LeBron James, same deal. Late bloomer. Kobe Bryant was the exception. I'll talk about Kobe for a second, considering that it was his last game on Wednesday night. And, I mean, what a way to go out, 60 points. I mean, it took him 50 shots to do it. And it got to a point where Utah kind of let up on defense because they just wanted to witness a moment because their season was was lost. But it was still a hell of a way to go out. I'm not going to lie about that. He was an exception when it came to early success because he already had a complete team around him. He didn't necessarily have to go through that development process that a lot of the people around him had to. And when I say people around him, I mean like the all-time greats, guys like a Larry Bird, really the only other exception, other player that I could think of that came into the league right away and started winning was Magic Johnson. Once again, he was another exception, though. He came into a team that was already legit. And it only got better throughout his career. He never had really a bad season as far as the Lakers were concerned during his reign. But players like Kyle Lowry, players like DeMar DeRozan, players like even a Paul George, these are all guys that take time for development. But now we're seeing the fruits of our rewards. So the question now finally asks, in the development process, are they ready to take the next step? Because... If there's one thing that is certain about this coming playoff series against the Pacers is that there will be no second chances after this if they fail. Winning is the only thing for this team. They look like they're ready to take that next step. They have made the defensive adjustments that I think a lot of Raptors fans are satisfied in seeing. I think Jonas Valanciunas has taken a step up in attempting to protect the rim. He's still not as good as you'd want him to be, but He's getting to a point in his career now where he's going to be what he's going to be, and he's a guy who is very consistent offensively in the paint, and that's something that you don't always necessarily get on a team. And it's something to be um, to hold dear, I guess you could say, because at the same time, then you have a guy like Bismack Biombo, who's a straight motor guy, who can protect the rim, who can rebound, much in the same way that Valanciunas can rebound, and we got him for a bargain. He was the steal of the offseason, if you ask me. Are they ready for the next level? Are they ready to get at least to the second round? Now, given how well this team has done, they've broken their single-season record winning mark by seven games. Considering how well they've done in the regular season, now here's another question, though. Would it be considered a failure this season if they don't get to the Eastern Conference Finals? Really, Who do they need to beat to get there? The Pacers? Maybe the Celtics? Maybe the Hawks? When you see or hear any of those teams, are those teams that you really think the Raptors can't beat in a seven-game series? Has Boston made that huge of a jump in two years to go from missing the playoffs completely to now being in the Eastern Conference Finals? Have they caught lightning in a bottle that quickly? Because really, I see them as the only real obstacle in our way from reaching the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, 
It's a tough question to answer because we've been so fixated this entire season about prove it to us in the playoffs. Well, the playoffs are here now. But how far do they need to go for us to be satisfied? A lot of people say the second round. But I take it a step further after what we've seen from this team in the regular season. 56 wins. 56. A core group that knows each other. A big free agent defensive signing in the offseason. Homegrown talent. We've got guys on this team that are never going to play better basketball in their lives right, than right now. And we have promising young stars, up-and-coming players, I mean to say, on our bench. If the Raptors don't make it to the finals in a year, because we also have to take this into consideration, the East is never going to be more wide open for us than right now. This is probably going to be it, because from here on out, we're going to be having issues with the Boston Celtics. We're going to be having issues with the Indiana Pacers if they make the right moves in the offseason because they have a bona fide star in Paul George. And they're going to do what they need to do to keep him around. And they have the space to do it, especially with an increasing salary cap. But the final thing I'd leave you on would be the fact that we have an opportunity here to make an impression on some of the biggest free agents that are going to be coming to the market in the next two years. Guys like Kevin Durant, but not just Kevin Durant. What we do in this playoff run will send a direct message to all of those guys in the league that we're serious about winning. We've already shown the spectacle of the All-Star game. We've already shown how much fun it can be to play as a Toronto Raptor. We've already shown the intensity of the crowds in the playoff time. We've proven everything except winning. If we can prove winning, then finally, truly, we might have established a winning culture here in Toronto. I'd like to thank all of you for joining me here on this solo edition of the TOT Cast. Of course, my name is Ryan Greco, and you can always reach me at RyanGreco416. If you got a question for the show, be sure to hit us up on Twitter at Tip of the Tower. Be sure to like our Facebook page. And of course, be sure to check us out on iTunes. Thank you all very much. Have yourselves a great day.